The scripture reading tonight is Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 36 through 41. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Once again, it is good to see you here this evening. If you'll leave your Bible open there to Acts chapter 2, we'll be working out of there shortly. Uh, we are doing this series uh, on again, off and again on Sunday evenings called Asking for a Friend. And there's some cards in the uh, table in the foyer if you're interested in submitting one of those. But this evening's a young lady that uh, wrote this card pretty early and she asked the question, when am I ready to be baptized? On the outset, let me say I love this question. I appreciate this question so much because uh, it tells me a number of things. Number one, this young lady has been paying attention in class. And appreciate that because from a young age, we're trying to instill the seeds of being people that please God more than anything else. And parents, that ought to be chief among our priorities is to say that I want these children to recognize that there is a creator, that their maker it wants a relationship with them. And I want these young people to understand the great works of what our Father has done over times past. And that's a good uh, place to go for the Old Testament and teaching all of those accounts of creation and the fall and the flood and all those different things that, that uh, God has done. The purpose for the Old Testament is so that we can be in awe and stand in awe of what God is, uh, what God's done and who He is. And one man said the purpose of the Old Testament is to teach us that God means what He says and says what He means. And that is an accurate assessment. But when you get over the New Testament, the question becomes, how do I be right? How am I right with God? How do I be right? How am I right with God? What's the process by which I can stand justified before God? And as we teach our young people in Bible classes, and again, parents, hopefully at home, this is evidence that a young child is growing the way that they ought to because they want to be a person that not only pleases mom and dad, but also our Heavenly Father. There's a number of difficulties that go along with this question, however, especially as our young people grow up in the church. And again, there's a desire to please mom and dad on one side, but then there's also a desire to please God on the other side. And how do you know when a child is ready for baptism? How do I know as a child if I'm ready to take that step? A couple of difficulties we might consider first, uh, and let's just address them uh, straight out. The first difficulty is, is the maturity level. Growth is an extremely personal process. And based upon upbringing, based upon environment, based upon exposure to the Word, and exposure to things like Bible classes, as we mentioned this morning, we hope it is that everybody's going to commit to coming to Bible class every single time because that's an area where we can grow and where we can learn more about the God we serve. But when you begin into maybe some of the upper elementary grades and maybe the middle school grades and maybe even into high school, and you start to see friends that begin to obey the gospel and begin to say, Mom and Dad, I think baptism is for me. Mom and Dad, I think I'm ready to take that step. 
and you begin to look at yourself, the question becomes, well, I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I'm ready to take that step, and, but this person over here is, and so maybe I am. But what you've got to realize is that there's different levels of maturity. I've seen kids as young as 10, 11, 12 years old ready to obey the gospel, it seems, because they have an understanding of the things that we're going to talk about. But at the same time, I've seen some wait till 17, 18, 19, maybe on into the 20s before it is that they understand fully what it is that uh, obeying the gospel and committing their life to Christ is. So there's a maturity aspect that we've got to consider. The second aspect that becomes a difficulty is this, the individuality. The individuality. When we're young, we sometimes associate with our peers. Well, we do associate with our peers. We liken ourselves. We compare ourselves in a lot of instances. And so if it is that I see my best friend and she's ready to obey the gospel and she's baptized, then the question becomes, and maybe I can stir it up in my mind to say, well, I'm ready too. I'm ready to do that whenever really, again, it goes back to the first one. That is the maturity is not necessarily there. And we, we, we talk about this because... Folks, this is an individual decision that we've got to make. This is something that nobody else can give an account for. This is you and you alone and your relationship with God. And we've got to understand that as we move forward. The third difficulty that we might consider is this, what we call the camp syndrome. I don't know of a better way to say it, but this is the way it's going to be, a camp syndrome. I have been a part of enough church camps in my life to see this happen. Here's what happens is, Sunday morning, everybody's ready to go, and we, we have a great day Sunday, we have a great day Monday, we have a great day Tuesday, we have a great day Wednesday, and there's a lot of Bible that's being taken place and a lot of conversations, but here's the problem is Thursday evening before everybody has to leave on Friday, the kids are tired, they know that it's their second to last night at camp, and they know that they're going to have to leave the next day, and, and the emotions are overflowing. And at that very last evening, in that very last devotional, somebody says something and says, I want you to consider well who Jesus is. And all of a sudden, a child, because of emotions, begins to think, oh, I need that, without ever considering a whole lot of other things that go on and that are, need to be discussed. I've been a part of a church camp that kept kids up to 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning sitting down and studying the Bible with them. I don't think that's necessarily healthy because when you start getting tired and you start uh, becoming emotional, well, emotional can, emotions can cloud a very, very important decision as far as reason goes. We've got to be careful, and, and sometimes it is that we're not discerning enough, so I think, to stop whenever we see emotions snowball, where you have one child come down, and another child come down, another child come down, and just, okay, we're going to cut off the invitation song because if you want to obey the gospel, again, it's not going to necessarily be just right there at that invitation. You're going to go to your camp counselor. You're going to go to somebody and say, I need this, and it's not based upon an emotional decision. Fourth difficulty is this, being pushed into the water, being pushed into the water. I have had young people come to me, 12, 13, 14 years old, and say, Mr. Andy, my grandma told me I'm old enough. And she said, aren't you old enough now? It's time for you to get baptized. You need to be baptized. You're, you know enough. You're old enough. You need to get in that water. Granted, there may be occasions where that's true. 
But at the same time, sometimes we as adults get in our minds that that's just a step that absolutely has to be taken, and we're going to get people in the water no matter what the cost. You need to be baptized. Okay, well, what if I don't have any clue about who Jesus is and about what he's done or what that baptism is going to do for me? You know, Paul says that baptism is what washed away his sins, Acts 22, verse 16. Baptism is where we contact the blood of Christ, Revelation chapter 1, and verse 5. Baptism is what puts us into a right relationship with God, raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Baptism is what takes us from an unsaved position and puts us in a saved position. And based upon the blood of Jesus, it does that. However, if we try and just force kids into the water and say, well, you're old enough, get baptized, we treat it, well, a lot of like what the denomination world treats it like, that it's just a kind of a sacrament, kind of a, uh, an optional step that we don't really, well, we, we uh, treat it like it's, a, it's necessary, but really what it just becomes is somebody getting wet because they don't have a knowledge or an appreciation about what it's supposed to do. Folks, let me caution us here. When we talk about a child getting baptized, we understand that that's the last part of the step in being obedient to the gospel. And when they're raised to walk, yes, they have to live faithfully. Yes, we have to live faithfully. Revelation 2, verse 10, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life, Jesus says. But if we just treat it like this is the most important step, then we've missed it. If you want to talk about a child obeying the gospel, that's fine. Talk about them obeying the gospel, but don't put an unnecessary weight on baptism. Because baptism, yes, it's important, but so is repentance. So is confession. So is belief. So is hearing the gospel. All of them fall under equal weight when we talk about a child going from an unsaved state or to a saved state or an adult. Again, please understand that we're using this term accommodatively. And so when we talk about being baptized, a better phrase to use is, have you obeyed the gospel yet? Because again, baptism is part of that. We have to talk about that, but realize that it's encompassing of everything that we're doing in the plan of salvation. Last difficulty. There's a difference between knowing the subject matter and actually applying the subject matter to what I need or what you need. Troy and I were talking about this in the office, and he uses the example. Our children understand what it means to be married. They understand that mom and dad are committed to each other and that they have a responsibility to love that other person and that that excludes all others. And that there is a relationship between mom and dad that exists that's special, that's holy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that even though our children have an understanding of what that marriage is, that they're ready to experience it for themselves. True or false? It's true. And so as we talk about the knowledge of what the plan of salvation is, we can sing the song with Professor Good News at VBS. Hear, believe, confess, repent, be baptized in the water, rise up again, walk anew, and live like your otter. But you understand that there is more to applying that and saying, yes, I need that because of what my sin has done in separating me from God than just reciting the facts. Anybody can recite the facts. But it takes somebody that's ready to obey the gospel to apply the facts to themselves and say, this is something that I need. Difficulties to consider. For the young lady that asked this question, when am I ready to be baptized? Here's a couple of things that I might consider in looking at this uh, subject. Do a study from the book of Acts. 
book of Acts is the book of history for the church about how the early, uh, uh, early, well, the early pagans, the early Jews accepted the gospel, obeyed the gospel. And as you find a pattern there, I want you to go through each instance there in the book of Acts. This is a great study for each one of us to do and ask some specific questions about what happened here in this situation. Again, you go back and listen to this later, but uh, I'm going to go through these quickly. Number one, why did this person that we're studying about in Acts, why did these people or this group of people, why did they need to be baptized slash forgiven of their sins? What had they done? What can I see recorded in the Bible? What can I see recorded in the book of Acts that warranted them saying, well, like in Acts 2 verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? What had they done in that instance to realize that there was a separation that occurred? What had they done in their past life or what had they done so that it caused them to think about obeying the gospel? Number two, asking a question, when did they realize or what did they realize that made them want to be obedient to the gospel? What was the catharsis? What was the light bulb moment that they said, this is something that I need? For example, Acts chapter 8, in eunuch. He's riding there along in his chariot, reading from Isaiah 53. Philip runs alongside the chariot and he says, uh, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I let, let somebody guide me? Philip got up in the chariot. He sat down in the chariot and beginning at Isaiah 53, beginning at that scripture, he preached to him Jesus. And somewhere along the way, that eunuch recognized that that applied to him, as we mentioned. That eunuch recognized that there was something that he needed. And as they passed by that pool of water, the eunuch looked down and he said, here is water. What keeps me, what hinders me from being baptized? What did he realize? He realized something about the greatness of Jesus, but also his own need for salvation, not through the Jewish religion, but through Jesus Christ as the completion of the law. Matthew 5, verses 20 and 21. What did they realize that made them want to be obedient to the gospel? What did they know about Jesus? Number three, what did God promise them through their obedience? What did God promise them through their obedience? The scripture Kevin read, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you look down further in the context and Peter preaching verses 40 and 41 and saying, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved. Okay, there's salvation involved. There's something involved, not just the remission of sins, but there's also salvation. What did God promise them to those who were going to believe? What did God promise them or what did they receive whenever it was that they were baptized? And what were the results? What were the results? This is an important question because... Sometimes, again, a younger person, as we're talking about this evening, when they're put down in the water and they come up, they don't recognize that there's been any kind of change that's involved. They went down in the water just as happy as they did when they came up out of the water. And yet in every instance, when you look at the book of Acts, you find somebody that's rejoicing. You find somebody that's glad for what they received. You find somebody that's grateful and that lives their life out in gratitude and understanding of the greatness of what it is that they've received as the gift of salvation. Here's the last question. Here's the application question. Do I think, do I feel, do I believe that I need what those people in the book of Acts received? 
See, salvation has appeared unto all men, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. But this is something that we, again, as we mentioned with the difficulties, have to make an individual decision about. And so it is that we look at our lives and we want to say, yes, I need that, or I'm not sure I need that. Adults, let me talk to you just for a moment, or maybe, again, those people that are um, uh, dealing with these type of questions. Look back at Acts chapter 2, and I want to deal with just a couple of place markers for evaluation. I don't know how else to describe that, but we'll say, if you're talking to your child or you're talking to somebody that you think is a candidate for obeying the gospel, somebody that's ready to take that step of being baptized, what are some things that I need to look for as far as that goes? And we're going to take these points from Acts chapter 2. Number one, I want you to realize that there needs to be enough there to process who Jesus is. Peter takes the majority of his sermon and ties to, for that Jewish audience, all of these scriptures from the Psalms and from the book of Joel, and he brings in scripture after scripture after scripture to prove to these people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that they've been looking for. Messiah is just simply a word. Christ is the same word. It means anointed one. What was he anointed to do? Well, he was God's chosen king. He was the one that God sent to be salvation for all others, to be the king that was going to be set on David's throne that was never going to be removed. And at Jesus Christ as king, Peter spends some time exalting him, but also exalting the fact that even though these men with their lawless hands in Acts chapter 20, uh, 2, verses 22 and 36, they had taken by lawless hands, they'd crucified him. They'd nailed him to the cross. But Peter's sermon didn't end there. He said, whom God raised up because it was not possible that death could hold him. Why? Because he wasn't just the anointed king that God chose. He was also the one who lived this life sinlessly. Have you ever spent time just thinking about that? That out of all the people here on this earth that have ever lived or ever will live, the Lord allows the earth to stand. Jesus Christ was the only one that sin didn't have a hold on. And because sin didn't have a hold on him, death didn't have a hold on him. And as the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins, Romans 3, as their propitiation, as Paul would say there in Romans 3, the satisfaction of justice, it is that his sacrifice means everything to us. But his resurrection is the basis on which the rest of Christianity hangs. Because if Christ was never raised, that means he committed sin, which means he was not worthy to be our Savior, which means, well, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapters our young people have recited, it means our hope is in vain. It's not just enough to uh, process who Jesus is. There also has to be enough to appreciate his sacrifice. Appreciate his sacrifice. There was no other way for you to be right with God. God knew what we were going into when we step over from this life into eternity. And as God looked at each one of us and said, I love my creation. I don't want my creation to be separated from me eternally. I don't want my creation to go to hell. 
God, as it were, looked around all of heaven and thought, what can I use to make a satisfaction for this wrath? What can I use to, to, to satisfy the, the demand of justice, that is, the demand for sin? What is it that I can use to bring man back in a right relationship with me? And as God searched heaven, he knew his son was the only one who could do it. And as he sent his son he knew that that was the only way that man would ever be right with him. That's something that we all need. He's something that we all need. Note, there's enough to have their heart affected by what their sin has done to Jesus. You ask a young person, you say, what is sin? Well, sin is a transgression. Sin is violating a law or breaking a law. And you ask them, uh, what is it that, that, that sin does? Well, sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Well, what has your sin done? Well, I don't, I don't know that. Again, we're looking for clues to say this person is ready to obey the gospel or they're not ready to obey the gospel. But there has to be something like what you find there in verse 37. These men realized who Jesus was. They realized the greatness of the salvation that they had, well, the greatness of the king that they had nailed to the cross. And as they looked at themselves, they were cut to the heart. They felt it. There is damage done to this relationship that I cannot repair. There was no way that they could go back and uncrucify Jesus. There was no way that they could go back and, and take down Jesus or pull him out of the tomb and, and reanimate him. That was only something God could do. And as they're looking at this with this regret, with this guilt, with this understanding that it was their hands, lawless hands, that had nailed him to the cross, their only response was, what in the world can I do? Please tell me how I can make this right. And ironically, it was the same blood that Jesus spilled on the cross that they caused that was able to cleanse their sins and put them into a right relationship with God. It is an understanding that, that my sin has done that. My sin, as much as the ones who nailed him to the cross, was what put him there. And for it was my sins for which he died, because there was no other way to make that atonement. Number next, there has to be enough to understand the commitment to the Lord. The commitment to the Lord. As you look at what God calls us to do, look at verses 44 and 45. It says, now all those who believed were together and had all things in common. Question, why didn't they just stop and go their own way? After they came up out of the water, why didn't they go and just join the church of their choice? As we're often told in the, in the denominational world tells us. The question is, is because that wasn't their choice. When they came up out of the water, they were added by God to the one church that God had created there on that occasion through the blood of Jesus Christ and by his sacrifice. There were not multiple churches that they could go and join. They were added to the one church that God had created. And they had as a responsibility, a responsibility not only to God, but also to one another. There's an understanding, verse 42, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of the bread and in prayers. Brothers and sisters, obeying the gospel is not a one-shot thing. 
It is a showing of our commitment and obedience to Jesus, allowing God to perform this miraculous work, as it were. Again, I use the word miraculously, accommodatively. But when we are raised to walk in newness of life, this is the beginning of our commitment. This is the understanding that every day I have a responsibility to live for Him, forsaking all others, to commit myself to His way, and to say I'm going to let Jesus be my Lord both now and for the rest of my life and on into eternity because I recognize who he is. I recognize the greatness of a sacrifice, but realizing there is a commitment that's involved. You know, people don't go, let me back up. People shouldn't go willy nilly to the altar to get married. And in fact, at some weddings you hear it said, and I hope it's not at anybody's wedding that I, that I know of, but you understand that there are people that say, ah, I'll give it six months. Wait a minute. <laughs> You're putting a time frame on something that these people are standing here before a preacher and saying, till death do us part. That's a lifetime commitment. I think that's one of the things that makes it so heinous to God whenever somebody goes outside the sexual relationship and violates that. And that's one reason for a divorce. Again, I'm supposing here from Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. But it is that there's a sacred commitment that's taken place that forsaking all others, I am bound to my wife and she is bound to me because that's the choice that we've made. When we talk about somebody obeying the gospel, we're talking about somebody that's committing their life, forsaking all others, and I'm going to be committed to Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for him every single day and I'm not going to consider leaving him for anything. That's a grown-up commitment. That's a commitment, brothers and sisters, that we need to renew in our minds and in our hearts to think about the fact that I'm joined to Jesus for better or for worse. Christ is my life. He's the reason why I live every single day. I need to understand enough to take inventory and assessment of my life and God's will. This is the force where I think we need to spend a whole lot of time, especially with young people, and that is the meaning of the word repentance. What does it mean to repent? I can ask that of a junior high classroom, and again, hopefully they'll give me the answer. Well, repentance is to do a U-turn. Repentance is to say, I've been going down this path that doesn't please God, and repentance is me changing my mind and my heart and going and doing the things that want to please God. I've had many conversations sitting at a camp park bench with a child that's come to me and say, Mr. Andy, I, I, I want to be baptized. And you sit down with them and we'll talk about repentance. And especially at camp, again, this is part of the camp syndrome, is that kids are not necessarily thinking about the changes and the lifestyle changes that they're going to have to do. It's my job, again, I feel like, to bring up to their minds to say, this is what repentance means. Practically, what kind of friends do you have? Well, you know, they're just friends. They, 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 they cuss a lot and they talk bad about people and they think, okay, when you commit your life to Jesus, do you suppose that maybe it is that you can't be a person like that anymore? Evil companions corrupt good morals, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. And we don't want to be around people continually that are going to drag us down or cause us to do those things as well. Do you talk bad about people? Well, yeah, sometimes. You ever think about the fact that you shouldn't? What's your relationship with your parents? Well, my mom, she doesn't know anything. And my dad, he, he just yells at me all the time. And, and I talk back to him and I visit. Well, hang on. You realize that that's not what Jesus wants you to do. When you look at passages like Ephesians chapter 6 and it talks about children obeying your parents. 
And when it talks about having a good and being submissive to one another, you know what that means? That means we can't talk back anymore. That means we can't exert our self-will. Why not? Because you're serving Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want you to be a person like that. Okay, what kind of movies do you watch? Oh, you know, I, I like the rated R ones. I really like the ones where they have a lot of blood and gore and violence and all of those different things. And, and I love doing those things. And man, the music I listen, I love, listen to a lot of rap and a lot of uh, hip hop and a lot of other things. Well, wait a minute. What is God? What does Jesus want you to put into your mind and your heart? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely. Where, where those, where's the rap music fit into that? Where do those movies fit into that? What kinds of things you look at on the internet? You see what we're doing. We're talking about here's a way that I'm going that's contrary to the way God wants me to go. And I've now got to consider what Jesus wants me to do. I'm making a U-turn with my mind and my heart and saying, this is what I want more than anything. I want the salvation God offers. But my life has to be filled with the things that he's pleased with. Again, folks, I'm not talking about knowing everything. I'm not talking about thinking that everything's got to be rosy and I've got to have perfect knowledge before it is obeyed. No, I've got to have an understanding of what my commitment to Jesus Christ has got to look like. And so it is, we've got to really consider and help these young people and help all of us consider what it means to obey the gospel. There's got to be enough to realize that if I were to die now, I would be lost without Jesus. Some young people I talk to, one of the questions I routinely ask is, what have you done that's so heinous? What have you done that you feel like God would send you to hell for? Generally, that question is enough to say, well, nothing. That's exactly right. Because there's a recognition that sin, my sin, is due a just reward. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse 23. And as I consider the weight of my sin, that my sin has separated me from God, when we talk to our young people and realize there is no other way but salvation, no other way but Jesus, we've got to understand that there is an understanding that this is what sin pays. And when they realize that, they're going to beg for salvation. They're going to say, Mom, Dad, this is something I don't want to wait I don't want to wait till camp. Please don't do that. Young people, you realize that you need salvation. You recognize that you need Jesus. Don't say, you know what, I'm going to wait till Camp Bandina and then, then I'm going to obey the gospel because that's where all my friends are. It's far more important than that. It's far more necessary than that. And we don't do obeying the gospel any, any service and we're certainly living on borrowed time. A couple things as we close. Adults, as you visit with young people, let me do, uh, encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, reiterate how proud you are of these young people. We've got a wonderful, wonderful group of young people here at Graver Road. I hope you appreciate that. I stand in awe of that every Sunday evening whenever it is that we get ready for kids sing, and I see them, and especially the teenagers, answering all the questions of the avocado guard. You guys throw my heart. Ear fist bumps all around. All right. So you understand that there's a great thing, and when a child comes and says, Mom, Dad, I think I'm ready to obey the gospel. I think I'm ready to be baptized and you begin to sit down with them and talk about that, start off with saying how proud you are of them and how wonderful it is to see them grow and how wonderful it is to see them wanting to please God. 
And even if it is that you assess and think about the fact that they may not necessarily be ready for that, you still encourage them and say, I want you to continue growing the way God wants you to. I want you to continue growing in grace and knowledge. I love the fact that you're thinking about such things and keep thinking about those things. I want you to realize there's a couple of questions when we talk about this. Why do you think you need to obey the gospel? What you're looking for are two primary things. The first one is to say the lordship of Jesus. That's one of the things that I understand because that's what they need to understand, that there is a commitment that I'm making to Jesus. The second one is the seriousness of sin. If you're going to boil it down to those things, the lordship of Jesus and the seriousness of sin, because that's a reason why it is somebody needs to obey the gospel. It is God's plan to save man. Romans, six, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power unto God, of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power is in the gospel, in the saving message of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's one this evening who's been thinking about that and they think, well, they're at a point that they want to Commit their life to Jesus. We're going to offer the invitation this evening, and if it is that even if you've been thinking about it, we'd be glad to sit down and talk with you about that, and we'd be glad to take a look at, at, at whether or not it is that you have an understanding because it's that important. It's not that we're trying to put you under a microscope, but it's that important. And we want everybody to do and be able to stand right before God. Maybe there's somebody here, not because of the reason for which we've been speaking this evening, that is, they don't necessarily need to be baptized because they've already become a Christian, but they haven't been living the way they ought to. You can change, you can repent. If you need special prayers, if you need encouragement from the church, we'll be glad to provide that. God bless you this week. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.